originally, and I'm not going to, uh, I won't tell you the color of her hair, how this originally started, because uh, we're no respecter of hair color, right? So this lady, she decides she wants to get a, a nice pair of alligator shoes for her husband. And so she goes to a, a shoe shop and tells the shoe guy um, how, you know, how much she has to spend. And he says, you'll never buy a pair of good alligator shoes for what you have to spend. You're going to have to save up more. She gets frustrated and says, you know what, I'll just go out, I'll catch me an alligator, and I'll, I'll get my own alligator shoes, uh, and they won't cost me a thing. And he said, well, I hope you catch a big one, just thinking, yeah, whatever. Well, that night, he's heading home, he looks out, and here's this lady out there with a rope in hand and about a nine-foot alligator heading her way, and he stops to get out, thinking he's got to rescue her, and looks, and there's, there's about five more laid belly up, already tied up, and just about the time he gets over to her, she grabs that nine-foot alligator, flips him over, and says, Doggone it, this one doesn't have shoes either. <laughs> now, all of you who are blonde, you can thank me later that I left that part out of the story. So, <laughs> all right. Another, another story, this is true, though. When I was a kid, we were growing up in Nebraska in a real small town, uh, Lexington. I think it was about 6,000 people. And, you know, the winters there were great. We had great snows, and they'd come and they'd pile up all the snow in the corner of any big parking lot. And we just happened to have a Catholic church just behind us and in our backyard, pretty much, their parking lot. And they piled this huge pile of snow, which was our fort. Me and my best friend Derek lived a few houses down, so we would go and build forts. The only thing is we would spend hours, we'd dig tunnels in that thing. We would uh, make boulders where we could make a, a fort on top. And there were some bigger kids that would come while we were not there, and they'd run their bikes and crush those tunnels, and they'd wreck our fort, and it'd make me so mad. And so uh, one time we got the idea that we'd take that snow and pack it real hard in small balls, and we'd uh, spray it with water and then let it sit overnight, you know, when it's going to freeze. My next morning we had these hard ice balls, and we thought, we're going to hide up there uh, before school and catch those guys and give them what for. Well... We did, except for the fact that we ran out of those ice balls before those guys wanted to give up. And so we knew we were in trouble, and they come after us. And about that time, I had to look over backyard, and here comes my big brother, which at that time was quite a bit bigger than me, come down the back. I'm, Jim, Jim, help us. You know? And so here comes my big brother over there, and those guys see him, and they scatter. And, and how, many have had, uh, how many of you have siblings? How many of you have older siblings? You know, some of us that have older siblings, we know that uh, sometimes we're reminded of how weak we are, and it, it's a nice reminder that we can't always do things on our own. We have older siblings. They help us out. You know, uh, in our family, Colton and Caleb, um, they will fight with each other, but something about Colton and Lily. I don't know if you know this, but they are like arch enemies. They are fighting all the time. Uh, you know, they just cannot leave each other alone. And I keep telling him that he needs to, he needs to stick up for her and think of her as you know, as, as he is a protector and not aggravate her. And, and so I can't get through to him, but um, recently we got to tell them a story that, um, <clears throat> that really got them going. But when we, my dad pastored at Rogers for assembly, there was a, a girl that was a little younger than me that actually attended New Song after it got started a while, but she used to come up and just kick me in the shins. I mean, leave a bruise, just, or she'd just take her arm and just hit me. Now in our family, you were never allowed to hit any girls, your sister or anybody. You couldn't wrestle with them. You couldn't treat them like boys. You'd, get, you'd have to hear it from dad. And so um, I was always taught you didn't hit ladies. You don't wrestle with them. You treat them like ladies. So I did, was afraid 
to fight back for what I'd have to deal with at home, you know? Well, <clears throat> one time, I don't know, you know, I'm telling the story from a lot of years ago. My mom would probably be able to tell it exactly how it went. But as I remember it, my mom happened to step out of her office at the church just about the time that girl waxed me really hard. And my mom says, you hit her back. I looked at mom like, uh-uh, I'm not going to get a spanking. <laughs> and that little girl's eyes got big. And she said, I said, hit her back. And finally, mom said, if you don't hit her back, I'm going to spank you. And so I looked at her, and I just let her have it. Wham! Leveled her. And, and she left me alone after that. And my mom told that little girl, says, we don't approve of fighting. We always tell our boys not to hit a lady. But when you stop acting like a lady, it's fair game. And uh, so, you know, we were telling our kids that, and that, you know, they, they are allowed to defend themselves to extent, but we don't want them fighting. But isn't it nice when you have, it's like the Calvary coming. Um, you know, tonight's not going to be all stories. I'll tell you one more. Um, when I was away from the Lord and I was running around with a bunch of motorcycle club guys uh, before I was in the bond slaves and they were not Christians, we left a place one night and I don't know, um, uh, there's somebody who wanted to ride that had never ridden a motorcycle before and, and she went in the back of mine and we were going down the road and there's about 30 guys with me and they decide to split off one direction and we split off another and I'm running down the ro uh, road in Springfield, and all of a sudden, this Camaro pulls up next to me and starts swerving at me and literally touches their side mirror to my handlebars and about pushes us in the ditch. And they were diving in at us so hard, the front of the car, I could hear the tire rubbing when they were, they were swerving over. I don't know what I'd done or what, what, who they thought that we were, but um, I start trying to get away from them, and all of a sudden, I hear this rumble behind me. And what happened is a couple guys that happened to look back when I took off and saw the very first thing about 30 motorcycles come up, boom, surrounded that car. And they went to wailing on that car and pound on the window. And it turned into high-speed chase. We, we backed off in the back, chased those people clear down from uh, south end, I think it was south end of Springfield, all the way down to SMSU at the time, until a motorcycle cop got involved and got them out. We don't know why they did that, but I tell you that feeling of fear to all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, now look what you got, <laughs> you know? But, but we get that feeling uh, when, when the Calvary comes, right? And uh, so let me throw out something else. Can you imagine if tomorrow the we, uh, we heard an announcement before the election that President Obama was sending every single American troop to Syria to wipe out ISIS? And we're all excited. We're thinking, this is it. Finally, no more of this mess. We're sending every available resource. They are going to squash them. Only to find out when they got to Syria that North Korea and Iran had decided to show up hearing about that, that they're going to finally wipe out every American troop they could. But when our troops arrive, they find every one of them dead on the ground. ISIS, North Korea soldiers, and Iran, not one of them left. They'd all fought each other. We're going to look tonight as we're, we're in this uh, series of... Um, intestinal fortitude for intercession talking about intercessory prayer the kind of prayer where you don't give up until the answer has come where you're not giving up until god has answered and the sermon title tonight is when my enemies fight themselves for me we're going to look in second chronicles chapter 20 if you want to turn there this is about a king and a nation who are in a helpless situation now, I'll give you a little backdrop in Second Chronicles and through this time. Is, this is a time when, again, the people of God were, were demanding to have their own king. You know, what God wanted is for us to have some righteous judges to judge amongst ourselves righteously, quarrels and things like that, but for him to always be our king. But 
people have decided they want it. And so we go through a rash of kings who do evil in God's sight. But Jehoshaphat is one, not perfect, but he is one that God uh, uses in a great way in this story. So we're going to look at, again, Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to read to you starting in verse 1. If you've got it, say got it. If you don't have it, say wait a minute. All right. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Minyanites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And this is not jumping Jehoshaphat. I don't know who that was, but this is King Jehoshaphat. So uh, verse 2 came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazron Tamar. And if you know anything about the kings of Israel and Judah, you know that the majority of them were evil. They make up a long line of, of losers who failed to follow God and, and, and lead the people to worship false gods and idols. However, there, there were a few of the Judean kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and uh, Asa being one and his son Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat learned from his father that the Lord uh, is God and he is one in control. And so he is presented with this problem. Uh, and what does he do? He turns to God in prayer. So we look at verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all Judea. Now this is, this is a thing where a leader, um, this is a shining moment. Jehoshaphat doesn't say, you know, get out your weapons, let's start practicing. He doesn't say, let's start barricading uh, the fortresses, let's, let's go and, and work on our own strength. He, he tells them to start fasting. He immediately puts the Lord as the Savior in this situation. Verse 4, And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they all came to seek the Lord. I want to ask you, have you ever faced an impossible situation? What do you do? I remember when Jen and I first started dating, I got the bright idea I was going to take her on a motorcycle ride from Springfield to Branson, only about 30 minutes. The only thing is that I didn't realize that my tank was already on reserve before I started. And if you've been from Springfield to Branson, you know there's some pretty amazing hills up and down. And I just happened to run out of gas at the bottom of one of those. So here Jen, on one of our first dates, has helped me push my motorcycle which is not normally hard when you're on flat ground, but when you're trying to go up a steep hill. And we pushed two of those hills before finally we got to the peak, and look, there's a gas station we could coast to. Um, but, you know, I'll never forget that because um, you definitely don't want your girlfriend trying to help you to push your vehicle because you didn't think about gas. But you sure don't want to be out there by yourself either, having to push that thing by yourself. I was thankful Jen was there to help me. But have you ever found yourself in a possible, possible situation? I look at our building project. You know, um, I was sharing a testimony that last Wednesday night, uh, we had got our first bill uh, early in the week on our uh, engineering fees. And, you know, we're looking at it possibly $18,000 to $20,000 just in engineering fees besides the architect and all that. And it's, it's a scary thing when you start thinking about those numbers, but, but not when it's, when it's God. Now, I can't say that I got on my knees and, and poured out some big prayer that, God, would you just provide this? But when we got that first bill, I said, God, it would just be amazing if whenever we get these bills, you would do something uh, just as a sign that you're going to make up this difference, that we're not going to be here by ourselves. And, 
last Wednesday night, I don't know if it's a record offering, but I'll tell you, we had, um, we had, uh, uh, we had almost uh, $4,000 given, 1700 of was designated to the building fund. And so, you know, we see, uh, I can see God in these things where I had just said that, you know, I don't know, I think it was Monday, I can't remember when it was, but it was before Wednesday, and I just said that when I got that bill. And um, so, you know, <clears throat> God is amazing in how he takes care of us, but when we face those impossible situations, I remember our first house, um, there may be a few of you that remember Jenai's first house, but it was built uh, in the uh, early 70s, I think, mid-70s, it was one of the Cooper homes in Bella Vista, and uh, there was a lot of rough things about that house. And uh, Jen decided it was time for us to move, and, and people came to our rescue and helped us uh, remodel that house. And we couldn't have done it on our own. Um, but, but you've been in one of those situations where it seems impossible. We, we too often, we try to solve our own problems by our own power. We push and we struggle, and there's times when we, we can do it, but there are times in our lives when we have to recognize that we are incapable and we need help. And this is where what Jehoshaphat does because he realizes that he and his nation are in more trouble than they can handle because you've got to understand this is a massive front coming against them. This is a massive amount of men, way more than they have. Uh, in the natural, they could never defeat them. So he turns to God in prayer and he leads his nation into prayer. So Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem and in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Verse 7, did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend verse 8 and they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name saying if disasters come upon us the sword judgment or pestilence or famine we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save there's times when when whatever your position is, it's not, it's not always fun. You know, being a preacher is not always fun. There's times when it's uh, incredible and it's encouraging. And there's times when it's not so much fun. You know, especially as a preacher, I'll just tell you, we all have our own challenges. But when, when your children or your wife hears things you say in a sermon and you don't live up to them, <laughs> those are challenging times for a pastor. Um, they get, you know, uh, you have a sermon about loving your neighbor and then they hear you yelling at someone going down the road that got in your way or to help the poor and then you're trying to convince your kids that maybe they shouldn't be giving all their money to that person they don't know that that they need to be careful not to just give out of emotion and make sure that God's telling them to do it you know and and then as I get frustrated over small things but there's nothing worse than being reminded about what you said and my kids are the first to tell me dad didn't you say in your sermon though isn't that what you said, Dad? It does open your eyes. Jehoshaphat begins his prayer by reminding God of who he is through the question, are you not God in heaven? I, I don't read this as he's uh, being sarcastic to God, that he's uh, trying to talk down to God. 
He's literally just saying, are you not the God of, of, of our nation? Are you not the God uh, in heaven? You rule over all the nations. In your hand is power and might. None can withstand you. He reminds God of who he is. He is the king. You know, when we, we pray like that, you think about it. If you're leading an army, and your army is over there standing over the side, you know, wiping their nose saying, I don't know if we can do this. I, I don't know. Are you sure? You know, I, I don't know that. <clears throat> I don't have a job right now. I mean, how am I going to pay for my food? You know, it, and God hears those kind of things from us. But, but how much that must charge up God for us to stand firm on his promises and say, aren't you the God in heaven, the one who created us, the one that, that rules all nations? So he reminds God of who he is. He is the king. And Jehoshaphat does this in a way saying, I believe that you are God in heaven and you are the only hope in which I place my trust. There's a singling out here that God, it is only you that can do this. By reminding God of who he is, Jehoshaphat shows that he's trusting only God's help. He reminds God of his promise and God always promised that if his people would humble themselves before him, he would save them. So this um, calling them to a fast, it's really putting his people and himself in a position of humility. You know, we need food to be strong for this fight, but we're going to give up that food because we're going to trust you more. It, it, It doesn't make sense. God, we're already up against a rock and a hard place with the numbers we're up against. We can't do it in the natural we would need to eat up, be rested, and ready to go. But we're going we're gonna to fast and focus on you. The real reality that Jehoshaphat realizes is that God's word is true. And if we believe that, then why should we not remind him of it? Why should we not trust it? And why would we not rest on those premises and those promises? So Jehoshaphat is looking for that promise to save him and his people, so he he reminds God of his promise. Let me ask you something. Do you think, I mean, just knowing how we are as a nation and how sometimes we are as believers, do you not think that sometimes we are prone to use prayer to complain? Complain about the economy. Gas prices being too high, groceries too expensive, et cetera, et cetera. Complain about work and those we work with. Complain about uh, the fam- uh, our family and the craziness in it. Or, or complain that they don't treat us right. Complain about our government and our president and how they're running the country or ruining the country or whatever it is. Illegal aliens taking our guns away. You know, often do you think our prayers maybe are more complaints than they are prayers? Instead of complaining to God about our, our miserable life, We should try praying his promises. Like instead of praying about the economy being bad, pray one of his promises like this. Father, you know the economy is bad, but I trust you. You said that you will supply all my needs according to your riches. That you know what I need and will provide it. I will seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and wait for you to provide. Instead of complaining about how the people in your life mistreat you, pray this. You have said to love your neighbor as yourself and that any harm that they bring upon me, you will turn into good. Give me strength to endure all these things and to love you, uh, love as your son loved us. Even though we were enemies, he died for me. 
put ourselves in the position of humility that we're no better than them at one time, that we had also been against God in the way we lived? What about instead of complaining about our government and president and pray this, Father, you have said that all things and all nations are under your control. You have also said that you're, uh, you appointed these governments and that you, these leaders over our lands. May I remind you that you're in control no matter how bad it looks or gets. You're the king and that our kingdom is not of this world. Why not pray in that way? Our focus on intercessory prayer, we need to really connect with the heart of God and the heart of God is for us to look to him for all things. When Jehoshaphat calls his people to a fast and, and they all humble themselves and pray, they are in a, a, in a unique position that most Christians find themselves very hard-pressed to get to. And that's one of saying, the enemy's there on the doorstep, and I'm going to go ahead and kneel anyway. You know, I, the elections already look, you know, they're already saying the polls are this way or that way, so what's the point of praying at this point? Best I can do is vote and then blast enough stuff on Facebook that maybe I'll convince a few people to change their vote. See, prayer is the only hope because that is our communication with the one who has the power to control our land, to heal our land. When you pray, remind God of who he is and what he has promised. And when we do that, we put our trust and our strength in his power. And now behold the men of Ammon, it says in uh, verse 10, and now behold the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Verse 11, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. He's not complaining. He's reminding God, they're coming to take back what you've already given to us, God. They're coming to rob from your people. Verse 12, O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For they are powerless against this great horde, because we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes aren't looking to the things that we fear. We're, we're, not, looking, we're not looking to what's going to happen after election day. We're looking to God say, it doesn't matter. Even if we get our way and the one we want in there, they can still mess it all up. We've got to keep our eyes on you. They could turn at a drop of a hat. The very one that, that we think that's got to be better than the other one, they can turn and be ten times worse than the other one. It's only God that we can keep our eyes on and not be disappointed. I could tell you stories about my dad, as many sons can, about stories how he could work harder than most men half his age. Still can. I found out a week ago. Um, and I could tell you stories about my brother. I remember seeing him picking up engine blocks in his younger days and moving them across the garage like they were the sacks of potatoes. And I could tell you stories about uh, me swimming 14 miles one time, taking me nine hours, and how I had to not eat the day before just to make sure I didn't have to take restroom breaks. Uh, I could tell you about my own uh, feats of athleticism, but I can also tell you stories of other men I've known who who I believe are some of the hardest and toughest men that have ever been. But all great men eventually grow old and weak. It's hard to admit that you're weak. It took me years to, to admit this, but uh, after I hurt my back lifting things on the house and found out, hey, you can't have limitations you can't overcome in your body. 
I remember when I fell from the ladder, broke my tailbone, I found out, hey, now I can't rest or sit. You know, I can't stand, I can't rest, I can't sit. There was no, no place to get rest and how, how that wore me down and God miraculously healed my tailbone. And <clears throat> then I think about uh, troubles I've had at times where they had concerns about heart failure and, and uh, they want to do um, heart casts and things like that and God has carried me through. But it reminds me that my body is mortal and it is weak. And it's a hard thing to admit you need help, that you're weak, that you can't do it. But that's exactly what Jehoshaphat, a king, a leader, what he leads his people to do. Admit their weakness right at the beginning. God, we can't do this without you. We don't want to do it without you. I know who you are. I know who you've always been. And I'm going to stand on that promise. And that's how I'm going to lead my people. One of my biggest concerns is the welfare of my family, I, especially their protection. You know, when I leave the house each day and I head into town, it's like, you know, we've only got five acres there and there's other people live around there, but I start thinking of things. What if the boys venture out in the woods, they get bit by a snake and they can't yell for help? What if Jen and Lily are out picking berries or something and a stranger comes on the property? You know, and my mind can go on those. Protection of my family is a paramount. Some of you that know us closely know that... Um, We've got some pretty uh, strange rules that we hold for ourselves, maybe not others. Like uh, Ken, when he was mentioning pastor appreciation and they were going to do some child care for us, he knows I, you know, I just don't release my kids and I can be really good friends with someone and my kids never stay overnight at their house. And it's just things that whether God wants me to get over or not, at this point I'm not, uh, but that's a big concern. But no matter what I do, if a, a stranger broke into the house, I'd do everything I could. I'd throw myself at them. I'd do everything, give my life to protect my family, but I'm still not enough to cover everything that could happen. No matter how much I may train myself, how much I get into self-defense and how much I get into all these things and, and the preppers and all these people who think that they can somehow get good enough to overcome anything that comes their way, it's never going to be good enough. The enemy can always be greater than you can handle on your own. So, what about my life? Nothing is guaranteed. Life is fragile. Your life is fragile. We're all weak. We need to learn to turn to God and admit that we're weak. That the only one that we can depend on is Him. He is the only one who can watch over my family. He's the only one that can care for them. He's the only one that can be counted on and trusted to do as he said he would do. He's the only hope we have. He, he, we have to admit that we are weak and that we need his help. But the rest of the story is great. God tells them to go out against the army. But they will not fight. God will do the fighting for them. And when Jehoshaphat and his army come to the valley where the great horde was, he finds them all dead. God turned them against each other and they all killed themselves. Now, now here's the thing. I, I read some commentaries on this and there's uh, a little bit of discussion about who these are that are laying in wait. Because you've got these other opposing forces coming to fight Jehoshaphat and the people of God, but then there's these others lying in wait that, that they get into a skirmish with. And some say that it indicates like it's the armies of heaven and some say it's just, uh, it's just another way of saying that the ones that came against them, they got into it when they got there. 
The ones that came to come against them got into it with each other and annihilate each other. But no matter how you look at it, that's not an important point. The point is that God's people show up to fight and there's no fight to be had. Because God heard their prayer and he answers prayer. It took Jehoshaphat and his men three days to clean out all the loot and the spoils of war. They didn't even lift a finger to win. God had turned the enemy armies against each other. And it was a side bonus. Oh, by the way, not only you're not going to fight, you're not going to lose a person, you're not even going to have to lift a finger here. The only finger you're going to be lifting is take all their stuff, things you didn't count on having in the end. But I'm going to go ahead and bless you with it anyway. See, God doesn't just come fight the battle for you at times. He provides for you in the meantime. And here's the deal. Jehoshaphat was a good king, but that's like comparing him to someone, uh, uh, to someone like Hitler. It's easy to look good when, when uh, every other king is evil. You know, It's like as if he was amongst a bunch of Hitlers. So he's going to look good no matter how bad he is. I mean, the reality is Jehoshaphat was not perfect. We later see he... he uh, messes up in a way too who he aligns himself with and gets himself in trouble with God but he still uh, he still is is one who's listening to God and leading his people to God he came to God in prayer now some of you may be facing some enemies of different kinds it may not be people it may be a situation the enemy has thrown something up in your face and you are battling it feels like for your life and it'd be real easy for you to step into the flesh and say, I'm going to come up with a plan. I'm going to be like that prepper. I'm going I'm to get all the stuff together I need. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form the battle plan. I'm going to get the fortress ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I'm watching out for anybody trying to get close to me and, and for the wrong reasons, and you throw up all the barriers. And God's saying, you could do all that, wear yourself out, and still maybe lose. Or maybe humble yourself. Get on your knees, spend time with me, and trust me, I'll fight for you. Time and time again, I've walked through situations with people where, where I, I hear them uh, coming up with all the ways that they're going to do it. And, and even you know, saying, I, I believe God's going to help me, but they're still in the fight, still struggling, trying to do it on their own. And, and God's saying, I can take care of that for you, but I need you. I need all of your attention. I need to maybe even you give up. Maybe it's not fasting food, but maybe I need to, you to give up some things. Make yourself available to me. That's really what fasting is all about. It's removing something you desperately need so that all your attention is on God during that time. When we fast meals, that's what fasting is about. It's about taking that thing that you depend on to keep your tummy from growling. Now, I I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands how many fasted, but when I fasted, that first few meals, that's really tough. And you you may, just because you're busy, skip some meals, but when you do it for a purpose... And you know, I have, I have the ability to just go get me. Uh, there's fast food right over there. But I'm determined to spend this time with God. And I'm going to refuse myself that thing that I want. And so some of us are going through a struggle. The enemy is trying to come at us. And we've got a bigger enemy than we can handle. And like Jehoshaphat, if we would just be God's person for that moment and say, I'm going to humble myself. Whatever is in my path right now that's distracting me, whatever it is I think I need, I'm going to give that up. For the, for the sake of humbling myself before the Lord and going before him. And look, some of you, your biggest thing on your plate right now is you are scared to death of what's happening with elections. You're, 
you're scared to death of what's going to happen. And maybe that's the thing that God is asking you. Just put it in my hands. I will fight for you. I will fight for you. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, I just come to you right now, Lord, asking that you would uh, lead us in this time of prayer. Lord, as we take this, take uh, the time that uh, has been left, Lord, intentionally for us to pray together, bind together, Lord, that, Lord, like Jehoshaphat, as we are led right now into, into prayer against the attempts of the enemy to attack us, God, we stand on your promises. We remember who you are. God, it's not that we have to remind you who you are, but, God, we want to boldly state you are the God of heaven. You are the God of all creation. You're the God that created every nation and has control over this world. And God, we are humbling ourselves before you tonight, realizing that we are weak. But in our weakness, Lord, you are strong. And some tonight, their hearts are heavy. God, they may be able to put on a good face for everyone, but their hearts are just so heavy over something, Lord, troubling them. They're on the verge of a battle. Maybe the enemy has a name. Maybe they're not even sure who that enemy is, but it keeps rearing its head, coming up on their city walls, God. And we just need a moment tonight to do like we see in this text, Lord, where we call out to you, keep our eyes on you, put all of our trust in you. In Jesus' name. Right now, we're going to do a couple things. One is, some of you may just feel like the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and you need time at an altar. You need to move out of your spot and find a place to pray, and that is, that is uh, perfectly fine. But some of you need some corporate prayer. You need others to bind together with you over something that is troubling you. You don't have to say it out loud. If you want to just say, I need folks to pray with me, then we'll gather some folks around you. You can choose whether to share it with them or not, but we're going to pray and uh, bind together for these battles that you're going through. So if there's someone here tonight, you'd just like others to uh, gather around you and pray, if you want to raise your hand. Brad, would you mind coming up here where people can get to you a little easier? And, and some of you men want to go ahead and gather around Brad and be, begin praying for him. Is there anyone else that you like prayer and we just want to gather around you? Sister Pat? All right. Can we have some of you ladies gather around Sister Pat and begin praying for her?